Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans design the world. My name is Ravi Chohan, and today I'm joined by... Oh, of course, it's Boxing Day. Uh, so today, uh, Luigi isn't with me, uh, and instead what we're going to do is we're going to uh, showcase an older episode from the archives. It's episode number 15, entitled Black Sweaters, and it's all about the work and ph- philosophy uh, of the amazing uh, designer named Massimo Vignelli. Uh, in this episode, uh, we'll explore his philosophy, some of his works, um, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, next week, we're going to take one week uh, of a break uh, to enjoy the new year, and then, of course, we will be back with another episode. So thank you so much for your amazing support this year. We really appreciate it. And over to a previous version of Ravi and Luigi. Thank you. Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans have designed the world. My name is Ravi Chohan, and I'm joined today by... By, by Luigi, Luigi D'Introno. Luigi D'Introno, looking like yeah. John Wick today, um, having not had the haircut due to uh, the ongoing pandemic. Uh, anyway, how, how are you doing? It's been great. It's been great. Very hot where I am now. Um, where are you? I am in Madrid. Um, it's been like 40 degrees. 40? Have you got aircon? No, no, no. We don't have aircon here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. So what are we speaking about today? Right. We need, yeah, we need to Enough talk before you me. melt. Yeah. Yeah, so today we're talking about the, uh, I'd say legendary is a, is a good term, uh, the legendary uh, designer uh, Massimo Vignelli uh, and his wife, Lella Vignelli as well. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that particular relationship. Um, but just some background, some history. So we first alluded to Vignelli when we were talking about Michael Beirut. Uh, and Michael Beirut actually works for uh, Vignelli, um, I don't know, in the 80s, I guess. Yeah, he was 23 years old, apparently. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's this like incredible history or tradition of designers that, you know, throughout the course of the show, maybe we should just come back to once in a while. What, what do you think? Of? Of designers, like uh, like a, a, a credible tradition of people who were inspired by this person, who's inspired by this person, and you just go up the chain until you get to, I don't know. I mean... The first caveman with um, with uh, who, who had Helvetica font in a cave somewhere. <laughs> Um, I, I thought, I thought to be honest that you wanted to talk about this person just because of his passion about Helvetica and how he used that in most of his projects or maybe a little, little tweaks here and there. But, um, I think it's, it's, it's normal that you get inspiration from your, you, you have your idols and you get inspiration from them and then you keep developing from their work, just trying to make their work even better or just trying to make ideas from their work and making your own, finding your way in the world. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's tempting just to look at Vignelli's work uh, and Lele Vignelli's work as well and say, wow, this is amazing. We've reached the end of it and there's no more things to design because it's already been done perfectly and before. Um, but, you know, I think that's the great thing about design is that it's so contextual and we'll talk a little bit about that later. And that context is always changing, which means that design itself must always change as well. Um, to kind of to kind of um, keep up with the way things are going. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So so why 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 did you want to make it about Vignelli? Well, I wanted to make it about Vignelli because I've kind of somewhat seen a lot of his work before. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not a lot, but I've seen some of his work before, uh, and I really really liked it. And I thought, well, I, I want to kind of learn more about this uh, this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to kind of learn more about also the ideals that behind this person, because, and, um, we'll be showing some of the work in, in the, uh, in the chapter art and in the show notes. So do take a look, but it is so 
clean. It's so almost like sterile. Um, yeah. And I really wanted to understand the philosophy behind that. So um, the way this episode is going to work today, uh, for those listening, um, is we are going to first start with that philosophy um, kind of behind Vignelli's work. Vignelli was actually quite on the record about what he thought good design was or what design should be. Um, and then we're going to go into some of his work as well and, and talk about how those ideals come through in his uh, in his work, uh, in the work that he's he's created. And actually, he's created so many um so many iconic pieces. Uh, Michael Beirut once said um, that when you're walking through New York, it kind of feels like you're walking through uh, like Vignelli's, um, I guess, studio because so much of what he's done is so ingrained, particularly yeah. in American culture. Something that he mentioned as well through through Beirut is my, uh, Vignelli used to say that a designer has to have some sort of architectural background, right? And he was itself an architect. And then once you do that, you should be able to design anything. So he was mainly a graphic designer, but he also designed some some product design uh, pieces of cutlery, and and also he designed apparently the Saint Peter's Church um, organ, like the pipe organ of the church. And he he was very, I would call him. To be honest, I didn't know much about him as a person. I knew about his work, but to be honest, I would call him the Da Vinci of our era. Wow. Yeah, that is big words coming from from you because I know how much you respect um, yeah. Da Vinci. Yes, Massimo Vignelli was born in uh, 1931 in Milan, Italy, uh, where he obviously grew up. He studied ar- architecture at the University of uh, Venice, I believe, um, and went to go on and uh, intern with lots of. Um, well, I think before that, he interned with a huge amount of architectural firms in Italy, uh, where he kind of learned that philosophy, what you, uh, which you just mentioned, Luigi, that an architect should be able mm-hmm. to design everything from you know, a city to like, you know, a spoon or something. Um, mm-hmm. And that is kind of like maybe what informed some of his uh, design beliefs. Uh, then he went to, um, uh, then he went to uh, the US uh, where he started um, and was design director of a firm called Unimark, which is one of the world's first kind of like graphic identity co- companies that was kind of global. Uh, and his job was to make sure the work was quite, um, was pretty consistent between all the different design offices uh, and he works there. Um, and then he married his wife, uh, Elena Valle, uh, who obviously then became Lena, uh, Lella Vignelli, known as Lella Vignelli. And together they moved back to Milan and they created their own design office uh, and they did loads more interesting work there. Vignelli unfortunately died in um, 2014. Uh, so he's definitely somebody who, even up to his kind of, um, let's say his old age, uh, he was still pretty influential doing interviews uh, yeah. and uh, publishing things like the Vignelli Canon, which we'll talk about. Yeah, very lucid as well. And and I, I saw a lot of his interviews talking about how the computer, uh, he talks about art and design in a way where he puts a BC and AC, which is before the computer and after the computer. Um, so that's how he classifies the two eras of design. So it's, it's wow. pretty cool. Yeah. That's inter- that's so interesting. Yeah, actually, if you if let let's, let's talk about the difference of BCM and ACA. There is a story about how they brought Helvetica to Italy. Yeah, and it's pretty much he just sent one of his friends to Switzerland to buy Helvetica from whatever company owned Helvetica. So when you say oh buy a font, they pretty much had to buy these blocks of lead, right? And all these block blocks of lead for each letter, each weight different sizes, I assume, I assume capitals, um, symbols, I assume as well. 
So they they were pretty much they put all of these pieces of lead in the car, and the car was driving so slow because it couldn't bear with the weight. And the police stopped them, asking them, "Why are you, why are you driving so slow?" And then the guy is like, "Sorry, but I have this piece of lead, which is a font." And then the the police's uh, the policeman just took away all the all the parts and confiscated them, and he didn't see them anymore. So then he came back and and he said, "I, I think I can be smarter." And so they pretty much hit the the pieces of lead in the car, and they managed to pass it through Italy. So <laughs> it just made me it just made me really think and reflect on buying a phone today is such a different experience than how it was maybe sixty or seventy years ago, and and just that the all the design workflow workflow has changed. Really nice reflection that I that I had when I when I was re- researching about about him. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, before computer story, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas now, like for some reason, fonts are still really expensive. Uh, maybe we'll go into that a little bit. Um, so yeah, let's first start off with his um, with his ideals. So Vignelli, mm-hmm. um, I think in 2014, uh, although do not quote me on that particular number, uh, he published the Vignelli Canon, and it was originally published uh, as an ebook, a free ebook. I can't actually find a link anywhere to this, although I'm sure you can find somewhere to download it. Um, but then later they released a printed edition, which is what I'm holding in my hands right now, uh, which was slightly expanded. Uh, and this book is Vignelli saying, this is what I believe about design. Uh, and he's always been very on the record about this, but it's kind of condensed into, into one small space. So if you don't mind, Luigi, I will uh, do one or two dramatic readings for you. How does that sound? Okay, yeah, please do that. I, I would love to, to see uh, your English and literature degree paying off. English and literature, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so um, just 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 to quickly begin with, uh, Vignelli was very, uh, as far as I'm aware, he was he was pretty always like associated with his rules and his principles. Uh, Lars Muller said uh, his rules and principles and his staunch faithfulness to them pre- uh, predestined him to leave behind a canon, which I now reprint with great pleasure uh, to the great master. So you know, really, he was very much considered to have like a processor, you know, like um. Yeah, basically a way of doing stuff. Okay, so cool. Um, so this book is divided into two ways, and I know talking about a book is not the most exciting um, is is not the most exciting thing for for an audio format like a podcast. Uh, but Luigi, I'd like you to get kind of get a sense of this. So the first one, the first part is called the intangibles, uh, and this is when he's talking about his philosophy and stuff like that. And then the second part is called uh, the tangibles, uh, and that's when he starts talking about uh, whether like really really like nitty gritty stuff like. What kind of paper should you use, Luigi? Um, should you use uh, flush, left-centered, or justified layouts for, for your type? So basically, you know, you know, like on Word, left, uh, center-aligned, or, or justified. Yeah. My fa- one of my favorite lines in this book. Justified is used more for textbooks, but it is not one of our favorites because it is fundamentally contrived. So he's just super direct uh, with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he just says what he thinks. He's just like, yep, justified, rubbish. Uh, although I do somewhat agree with him. Okay, so let's go. Let's go with the um, intangibles first. So, and he says, um, kind of central. The central part of this is that he says that there's three uh, different aspects to design, and those are semantic, syntactic, and pragmatic. And semantics are basically the search of meaning for whatever we have to do in design. So basically, he's saying that design really shouldn't be arbitrary. Uh, he says that um, it's the meaning behind it, and it's the very first thing that he wants to do whenever he starts a new assignment in design is figure out what the semantics are, what the meaning is behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wants to create. What do you think about that? I recently heard a, a quote 
can't remember exactly from where, but it says something about success without purpose. It's, it's, it's like failure. And it just made me think like you can design something that looks really nicely, but if it doesn't have a, a good purpose or a, a good why, then it's very close to failure, I guess. Um, I've just been doing some new identity work for my company. Mm-hmm. I don't talk too much about it now. Maybe we'll edit it out. But a lot of people are saying, you know, why is this the way it is? And it's the first question everybody has when they see like a new identity, a new, a new logo or whatever it is. Uh, that, you know, it's the first question they want to ask. They want to see that underlying, that underlying um, meaning behind things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it kind of gives it validity. Anyway, let, let, let's move on. The next element or aspect of design that he talks about is syntactics. Okay. Um, so are you familiar with the word syntax? Uh, yes. I don't know if in, in the, in the co- context that he's using it, but... Okay. What, what does it mean to you? The way things are arranged or... Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's the, same, it's the same kind of... It's the way things are kind of constructed, like syntax of a sentence is yeah. the way the words are ordered. It's the same kind of meaning to, the, to design. He really says that... Um, he, he literally says syntactic consistency is of paramount importance in graphic design as it is in all human endeavors. So he's basically saying that constructing things the same way within a particular graphical system are really, really important. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the facing page, he actually has uh, a picture uh, showing the New York City subway diagram, which I know we'll be talking about a little bit later, yeah. uh, but kind of highlighting how things must be done consistently within a system uh, to kind of be good design in his opinion. Uh, the next thing, um, is pragmatics. Uh, and he says, whatever we do, if not understood, fails to communicate and is wasted effort. Um, so he's saying that basically it's in the real world. Design is in the real world. It's got to be used. It's got to be useful. Um, and it's got to be understood. Uh, what, what do you think about that? He, he also mentions something which I'm kind of paraphrasing, right? right? I, I don't have the, the right words with me here. But he mentioned something about Design is, is, is useful in, in the world in comparison to, to art, which art is also, art brings utility, but it's not necessarily useful in the, in the day-to-day life. And he, he, he really likes to combine or, or have this black and white uh, views of words and things. For example, he also mentioned something different, which... I mean, he's right in all what he's saying, and and I don't I don't disagree with any of this. But he mentioned um, the difference between scale and um, scale and measure and measurements or measures. So he said a scale is something physical. Uh, sorry, measures is something physical, and scale is in the mind. So if you manage to play with the mind, it doesn't really matter what this measures or or whatever distance you put from a point A to point B, as long as you manage to play it well with the mind so all of these philosophical ways to to see design it's it's a really interesting thing it's a really interesting way to see the world um because he he, i again i don't know him all what i know is a couple of youtube interviews and i I read quite a lot about him he seems to apply this philosophy to the rest of his life does that make sense yeah definitely agree and it's actually interesting because the next kind of topic around design that he talks about in his book uh, he says, "This is I love this quote, okay, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to read it out to you. The attention to details requires discipline. There is no room for sloppiness, for carelessness, for procrastination. Every detail is important because the end result is the sum of all the details involved in the creative process, no matter what we are doing. 
There are no hierarchies when it comes to quality. Quality is there or it is not there. And if it is not there, we have wasted our time. <laughs> I just love that. Like, you, it's, it just sounds like it's very hard on himself. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, or, or others. I'd certainly be scared to... Uh, to to, to work with him. But he also seems really friendly when he speaks. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, it, when he does the interviews, he makes his own jokes and some of them are really not good and oh yeah are they the kind of jokes you have to laugh to yeah but sometimes he's really funny i think and he he laughs at at most of the things so i think i think he was a really friendly guy at least at the last the last few years of his of his life cool okay so yeah just just finishing oh sorry go ahead no i just wanted to say with the 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 perfection part there is a an interview that he had and i have some answers here and they asked him, is it better drawing a new font or using new existing ones, the existing ones? And he apparently had a set of fonts, fonts that, so he pretty much had two families, serifs and sans serifs, right? And he just had a set of fonts that he allowed himself to use because those were the perfect ones. And I just found it really funny that he had this. These are the ones we use. I just imagine like this Italian person, maybe it's... Uh, 60 or 50 years old being really 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 strict and talking to his team what font did you use i don't know uh avenir this is not in the list you can't use this one you have to use futura or like help it i don't know like being really strict about this really minor things just because that's what he thought he was good no no well you're you're right actually let no let's keep talking about that little story because he actually mentions that in the book as well yeah, so basically he, he's kind of talking about that kind of BC, mm-hmm. AC, you know, before computer, after computer thing that you're talking about. And he says the um, the advent of the computer generated the phenomena called desktop publishing. This enabled anybody uh, who could type the, the freedom of using any available type, typeface and do any distortion. It was a disaster of mega proportions, a cultural pollution of incomparable dimension. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> You know, he's just getting really, really annoyed about the fact that everybody's using all these fonts. And um, yeah. and, and you're right, you know, he, he railed against it. And he he actually did um, he actually did an exhibition. Uh, I think it was in uh, in Italy, actually. Uh, sorry, no, in New York. The whole exhibition was just him using six fonts: Garamond, Bodoni, Century Expanded, Futura, Times Roman, and Helvetica. And he created a poster which we'll put in the show notes uh, or in the chapter art if you're listening um, on a podcast player that can handle it. And the, po- um, the poster was very, very simple. And in the top, it says, um, of this poster, it says, in the new computer age, the proliferation of typefaces and type manipulations represents a new level of visual pollution threatening our culture. Out of thousands of typefaces, all we need are a few basic ones and trash the rest. So come and see a few basic typefaces. So yeah, we, we, we've talked about discipline. Um, let's move on to uh, ambiguity, mm-hmm. okay? So where he, before he was talking about... Um, you know, something has to be understood, it has to be pragmatic. He says that sometimes ambiguity can also be used really well. He says ambiguity and contradiction can enrich a project, uh, but can equally sink the end results. Therefore, great caution is recommended in using these spices. Thoughts on using ambiguity in design, Luigi? You know, I I don't think, at least in graphic design, I, I don't think I have used that enough or I haven't explored that thought enough. I don't know about you. Uh, I think it's interesting. I just think you have to be very skilled to do a good job. I've in the past have I've been almost too yeah. arbitrary with some of the work that yeah. I've done. Um, one example would be what next um, the the conference that we both worked on, and you remember the the uh, design for that. Maybe I'll put something in the chapter mm-hmm. on this, makes it into the show, just kind of showing that off. Um, but you know, really, it was like 
why 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 have you done it like this way? I thought I said, oh, it looks cool, and actually there's no underlying meaning there. So almost it was too amb- amb- mm-hmm. uh, ambiguous. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's something I've overused, and actually in the last like year or so or two years, I've really tried to take mm-hmm. a step away from it. He also mentioned something about um, design and styling in, and he says that you always must stay away from trends because trends just come and go they're here today but not not there tomorrow and design and styling are two different things design is permanent permanent design is permanent and styling is ephemeral and if you something that i thought it was really really powerful and we mentioned this um i believe it was the objectified podcast where where we were talking about um being ethical when you design things and and this topic about that designers has a, have the power to change the world and some of them um, just do a really different job or are led by money and, and making profit rather than making an impact. And he mentioned something and one of his, I would say the quote that I like the most from him is good design is about responsibility. He says that designers have the power to make a really massive change. And if you're not responsible in the way you make it, you're just going to make a change in the wrong direction. And just a lot, a lot of, a lot of thoughts have to go into into making something really, really useful and allow that something that you're making to make a better change in the world. And he talks about, um, you know, how you know we shouldn't waste paper and all these kinds of things that we talked about before. But I think also, like, he doesn't want there to be a waste of like design itself, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of going back to what you were just saying, he he writes, um, we despise the culture of obsolescence, the culture of waste, the cult of the ephemeral. We detest the de- uh, we detest the demand of temporary solutions, the waste of energies and capital for the sake of novelty. So I think he's just being very economical in in you know like the fonts he chooses, the colors he yeah. uses, um, because he just doesn't want to waste anything. Yeah, uh, which I think is a really interesting kind of point of view. Um, okay, look, let, let's fly through some of this philosophy then, and then we'll get onto um, onto the example. So, uh, quick one: uh, history, theory, and criticism. He says there is no doubt in my mind that the most important aspects in the formation of designers should be a deep understanding of design history, the development of theories and the criticism generated by them. Does any young designer in the world right now, should they have an appreciation for the history of design? Should they understand the theory of design, the criticism? I do. I do think that you have to understand where, where we came from and what mistakes that other people before you, um, before you made, so you can either avoid them or understand why was that a mistake or, or why that thing was so successful. So you can learn from that and apply it. Again, there is a quote, I think Newton said this, and I, don't, I have been reading a lot about history somehow and like science history mostly. And he says, if I can see beyond this because I stand in, sho- in the shoulder of giants. Or I'm paraphrasing, okay, but it, you get the message. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. So yeah, so I guess in design, it, it works the same way. I, I think so. I think, uh, you know, really looking at the past, I mean, this is kind of coming from English literature, right? But when you read or look at old things uh, and you look at the way people talked about them or if you look at the criticism around them, it kind of equips you with your own mm-hmm. vocabulary uh, to be able to look at the current world and, and analyze that. So, um, yeah, I, co- I completely agree. Maybe for different reasons, yeah. but I do agree. Um, let's move on. Um, he says, design is one. Um, and actually going back to the central question, the central tension at the heart of design by us uh, is the question, what is design, right? And uh, so far we've been saying um, 
designers making stuff uh, with the users at heart or, or something along those lines. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 Cool. So uh, Vignelli has a different definition, which might not necessarily be contradictory. He says, design is one. It is not many different ones. The discipline of design is one and can be applied to many different subjects, regardless of style. Design discipline is above and beyond any style. All style requires discipline in order to be expressed. Very often people think that design is a particular style. Nothing could be more wrong. Design is a discipline, a creative process with its own rules, controlling the consistency of its output towards its objective in the most direct and expressive way. Sounds good. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, let me just, we've talked about timelessness. We've talked about responsibility. Um, we've talked about arbitrariness. We've touched on already. Uh, the last thing, and we've also talked about context uh, and influences. The last thing I quickly want to talk about is marketing. Um, so Vignelli tells a story, right, about, um, he, he basically asked the question, you know, why is the world so damn boring sometimes? Um, take, say, for example, you're looking at domestic appliances or domestic kind of things, things like, say, for example, a jug. Uh, why do they all look so boring? Why do they all look so rubbish? Well, he says that the reason why is because people use focus groups and what he calls like marketing. Um, so basically, say, for example, I've got a new design for a, for a new mug. Yeah. I might choose to, before I start doing mass production, I might choose to take a few prototypes to a focus group uh, and basically validate the design. Now, for us, that might seem like a really good idea. Check out customers want this. Um, but he says this is a waste of time because basically customers don't know what they want until they want it. Uh, he says that's kind of that whole that whole mentality is the reason why we have so many boring products in the world. Um, focus group responses are taken seriously and determine the overall aspects and future of the item evaluated. I've seen several of these sessions, he says, uh, and finally understood why most of all the products on the market are so miserably uninspired. He goes on to say, uh, none of the well-designed products will ever survive the response to a focus group. Um, well-conceived and well-designed products are the result of courage, not fear. I think he will get along really well with Steve Jobs. And, and the way they speak, and it's like, this is this way, and that's it. End of story. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seems like this. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, before we move on to the work, let, let me just... Let me just um, uh, let me just tell you two uh, two um, incredible uh, quotes uh, made by some really esteemed mm -hmm. designers, um, and these designers uh, are from the YouTube comment section. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we have users uh, J R B H B R four years ago, um, and uh, basically this was under a video, a, a small interview with uh, Vignelli. Um, J-R-B-H-B-R, four years ago, with 27 thumbs up, uh, says young designers are worried about being stylish and not responsible. They're always criticizing Helvetica, but the majority don't have the ability to design a functional and readable font design. It's not about being cool. It is about being responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And uh, it, it speaks, it kind of like goes into other episodes that we have recorded as well. So... It's good. And uh, one one final comment from uh, the YouTube comment section, which again is the fountain of all knowledge uh, and <laughs> where you know great great discussion happens. Uh, BC five years ago, with only one upvote, uh, he says or she says, um, I've the and kind of talking about Vignelli and Steve Jobs. He says, I have the deepest respect for many of these senior designers, but I find all the black Undertaker look a tad humoristic. When everyone at the office wears a black long neck sweater, it feels a tad religious or perhaps non-individual. Uh, it gets me thinking, oh, it's the Helvetica gang coming to arrest me. Lol, 
Don't know how clients perceive this, but one would guess it lives up to the stereotypical designer look. So perhaps it fills a purpose in one shape or form. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right, sweet. So uh, you've you've kind of like uh, looked at um, Vignetti's work and you've kind of got three examples you want to show us. Yeah. So we have three main things. The first one, uh, let's start with the Metro. I think I think that was an interesting one. And I'm pretty sure he spoke a lot about the Metro, uh, the New York's Metro, New York City um, Metro map. Um, yeah, brief history. So I think it was in the 70s, uh, so about 76, I believe. He, the new city of New York... Um, Asked him to to design the map of of the metro on on all the mixing all the the the, the towns so like Manhattan Queens the Bronx Brooklyn and and just see where where the metro goes and he made quite a few let's say not so common decisions uh, and that's what led him I will, I will explain this later but that's what they took out apparently the the metro that metro map that he designed in, in 79 and they substitute him substituted with a more uh, geographically accurate metro map and i i bet that, that must be very bitter for him to see happening um but anyway so he pretty much just like reduced the size of a few stops and and cities and the size of neighborhoods like queens and brooklyn and as as, as you may know just to make it more aesthetically pleasing and easier to read as well. Uh, readability, again, in, in the Metro map where you have so many different types of information is very important. Uh, but he, he changes changed the size of some towns as well. And as you may know, Brooklyn and Queens, there's a massive uh, rivalry rivalry between those two. And so, yeah, so I, I can assume that in, this, in, the, in the 80s, this must have been like, Oh, we're we're bigger. I don't know. I really don't know. But I, I, this is just me making assumptions from the other end of the world. So just take my my comments with a pinch of salt. So, but I, I assume like some some people from Queens must have mocked some other people from Brooklyn just based on the metro map. Or I'm pretty sure those jokes happen. But yeah, what do you think? I, I re- obviously um I I really like it. I think it looks I thought I think it looks very nice. Uh, what's interesting about it is that on some uh, renditions mm-hmm. of the map, uh, he uses the grid lines of the map as the grid for the overall mm. piece, um, if that makes sense. So um, obviously a map is dis- divided into kind of squares. Uh, he extends those squares upwards and uses those same squares to organize the surrounding yeah. um, like information around it uh, above. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very yeah. smart thing to do. Um Overall, it's just so yeah. balanced. Yeah, yeah, I think you so know too. What I, mean? I think so too. And I don't know if you have been in New York, but the metro is a. You have to learn how to use it, um, and making a good map that allows you to read it properly. I think it's. It's a fantastic job, and and it's a massive challenge. Apparently, this is, this this map is um, after 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 he designed it, he became really famous, and they exposed it at. Uh, at some point at MoMA and then met as well. Sweet. Cool. Should we move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the second one, and I don't know, I don't think he spoke about this. And the reason why I brought this one in is he designed something for the city of Napoli or Naples, and it pretty much says with the quote, Vedi Napoli e poi mori. 
And it's pretty much, I see Naples and then I die. Um, but I, the reason why I brought this one is because in one of the interviews, he said, why, what would be the project that you would like to make? And he mentioned, I would like to design the corporate identity for a country or a city. Uh, <clears throat> no, actually, he mentioned he was specific to a country. And he mentioned, for example, uh, Italy or Vatican City. I will go to the Pope and say, your holiness, the logo is okay, but everything else, everything else has to go. <laughs> and, mm. I, and I thought it would be really interesting because I know we have had these conversations about Manchester's um, branding. And yeah. and yeah, so I thought it would be, it's cool that he designed this for Naples and apparently it was in 1986. Uh, it's pretty much, let me just describe it for you. Uh, you. You will see it in the artwork of... Yeah, Chapter Art, and then we'll also link it in the show notes as well because Chapter Art doesn't always work on every single podcast player. Yeah, so you just started in, in 1986. Uh, you, let me just describe it for you. So you will see it in the, in the Chapter Art or, or in the link on the show notes. So it's pretty much a, a black and um, a black poster to, to celebrate Naples. And as you might know, people from Naples, or uh, they are very patriotic to their city, right? And, and I have, I have the, the chance to be to Naples just for two days. And let me just say that is a charming mess, okay? And, and it, it's beautiful, it's nice, but it's a mess. Uh, but it's very, very nice. You get really nice food. People are lovely and they're funny and they're, they're a little bit, they're moody, but funny in their own way. And uh, so he, de- say, he, he designed this piece for, for a campaign that the city was running in 1986. And they just wanted to advertise part of the city. Uh, anyway, I, I suggest that you look more into the history of, the, of, the, of this design and how it was using the city of Naples to advertise the... Would you mind just quickly describing what it looks like? Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much a black background with a black font. Let's say a slightly lighter background. And it's it has a, a, a pair of eyes and the words of, of Napoli. And then it says an Italian quote that translates to see Naples and die, which is... The way I interpret it, and we go again with uh, how you interpret things, and the way I see it is, you just have to see Naples, and once you see it, you're you're good to go. Because it's, yeah, it's the only important yeah. thing to yeah, see yeah, in the yeah. world, and <laughs> so yeah, that's how I interpret it. So it was it was really interesting. I really like the the the, the contrast there. Uh, I think he calls it power earlier um, between the huge Naples font because it, it stretches across the entire poster and then the tiny uh, see Naples and die. And actually, the first time I saw it, I didn't actually see. I was looking on a not so good mm-hmm. screen and I didn't actually see the Napoli part and the dark yeah. eyes beforehand. Um, so it gives a lot of depth. To something yeah. that's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, should we go into the last one then? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and the other one is the Heller Dinerware set. I don't know if you mentioned anything about this at all in the book um he shows it yeah he shows it but he doesn't um mention it um something i I don't know why but i have this obsession with cutlery and dinerware and i haven't at the moment i'm a student right and and as you may know i pretty much inherited much of most of my cutlery but when the time comes that i have to buy a proper actual cutlery set i think it's going to be a hard time for me and just 
choosing one that I'm going to eat pretty much for the rest of my life or the next 10 to 20 years of my life. Uh, and I don't know why, but I don't want to buy something that is going to, I have to buy one every year, right? Or it's going to oxidate after a year. Designers are kind of like obsessed. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's these, these weird objects that designers love. It's like chairs, cutlery, and like lamps, I want to say. Lamps. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just like, it's very, it's very weird how, I think, I think you're right, but there's something about it because it's like so usable. Uh, and it's so everyday and it's so mundane. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's, since I was a kid, I would spend, like, I wouldn't say hours because I wouldn't spend hours in a shop, but I would spend, like, tens, 10 to 20 minutes just looking at the cutlery uh, and the plates and, like, the mugs and just see, oh, I like this one. Coffee will taste really nice on this one. And I maybe was, like, 12 or 13. Maybe I didn't have the knowledge or the or the words to describe what I was looking, but I really enjoy looking at that. And something that I liked of this one, and is that if you see how the mock fits, like it's like if you if you design this, it's kind of like the circles fit in between them. If that makes sense, you see how the mock you can stack the mock on top of each other, and you can stack the mock inside the bowl. Uh, if you if you are following in the podcast, you will see it in the um, in the chapter heart and. Something else that I really like is how the corners of the plates, like the food first, doesn't. it's harder for the food to go away. It has like this little vessel that that goes higher than the actual, where you put the, the, the food on the plate. And then the vessel is a little bit curved. So it's easier for you to clean the food afterwards. Plus, if you think about it, I, I don't know why he put the vessel, but I would say is for people that are either either don't have or can't use uh, one of their one of their arms and are able to then use one arm to put the food either on a spoon or a fork just like by like using the vessel um so i thought that was really really smart if if that was the decision if it if it wasn't then good job <laughs> i don't know I, I don't know if you're aware but that whole set also stacks i thought it was just the mocks and the ball but um it would be nice to add this picture as well in the in the artwork. We've done a pretty uh, quick overview of one of the most, I'd say, influential designers that certainly I've, I've ever come across. Uh, I'm sure we've missed out stuff. I'm sure we got stuff wrong. So if there's any Vignelli scholars out there, we apologize. Yeah. And, and feel free to reach out and, and keep engaged in the discussion on Twitter. Do you know what be, what? Do you know, do you know be really fun? We should get like a design historian oh, yeah. on. Just to, to tell us. Because there, there must be like academics re- researching this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think so. All right. So if you are if you are an academic uh, in design, reach out. We, we want to talk to you. All right, excellent. Luigi, who is this show brought to us by? Um, it's brought to us by the New York Metro. By the New York Metro. Excellent, excellent. Very, very cool. Do you want to like read us out? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to keep going with the conversation, we encourage you to follow us on Twitter, designbyos underscore FM. Engage with us there. Let us know if you wanna if you wanna listen to a certain topic or you have any suggestions. We we have certainly done a few episodes that our listeners suggest. So if you wanna do that, feel free to reach out. If you just wanna engage with the conversation and tell us how you like uh, the how much you like the podcast or how much you would like us to uh, improve, feel free to do that too. Um, if you wanna reach us to our 
personal accounts. Mine is Luigi underscore Dintrono and the other one is... Ravi, uh, at Ravi is occupied. That sounds good. Sounds good. He's always occupied. Always occupied.